Thank you, Jonathan, for uh, sharing the word. Um, who am I? You know, that is a question that uh, we from time to time will ask ourselves. Who am I? You know, I am a son. I am a husband. I am a father. I am a grandfather. That may be the best of all those kind of relationships, by the way. But, you know, who we are is very important. And who I am helps to shape how I live out my life, the decisions I make, what I choose to do, what I choose not to do, oftentimes flows out of that identity. So, who are you? But even beyond that, who are we together? There's this sense of our corporate identity as the church, which is extremely important because that identity helps to shape how we live out our faith, how we behave with one another, and what we do in the world around us. So, who are we? Who are we? We're now beginning this series that Jonathan has alluded to, where we'll be talking about we are, our identity. And over the next few weeks, Jacqueline and I will be sharing with you some of our identity as people who are part of this body together. So this morning, I want to invite you to think about this of our identity. We are the church. So I want you to say that with me. We are the church. One more time. We are the church. We are the church. First Church Jerusalem was really going gangbusters. I mean, things were good in that church. The church was growing exponentially, and its influence was increasing throughout the city of Jerusalem among various groups. Things were really going well. And then the church hit a bumping road. I want you to know there's always a bumping road. Even when things are growing well, there are bumps in the road. And if you're going to be traveling down the road, you're going to hit some of those bumps along the way. And the first church in Jerusalem hit one of those bumps. One of their key ministries was feeding widows who did not have the means to provide for themselves. And in that ministry, some complaints were beginning to rise up saying that the non-Hebrew-speaking women, the Greek-speaking widows, were not being treated equally with the Hebrew-speaking widows. That became a threat within the church, and so the apostles and leadership team said, we got to do something about this. And they began to pray, and they developed a plan and solution. And in that solution, they said, we need to nominate and elect seven people who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to help guide this ministry. And we really want the Greek-speaking members of our congregation to speak up to nominate these folks. And when they did, they nominated these seven people who began to lead this ministry. And one of the people that led that ministry was a man by the name of Philip. And Philip, along with the rest of the leadership team of that ministry, helped to steer it back into a positive way, and the ministry continued to thrive in terms of feeding those who needed to be fed. That wonderful ministry of meals on wheels. Well, some time passed in the church of Jerusalem, and things were continuing to go quite well when, from the outside, there broke out this persecution against the believers within the church. And that persecution was so severe that many knew that their lives and families and livelihood was placed in jeopardy because of that persecution. 
And so many left Jerusalem to go to other places. Philip was one of the people who left Jerusalem at that time. And he traveled, probably traveled along with his family, to a community about 25, 30 miles outside of Jerusalem called Samaria. Now, people who lived in Samaria and people who lived in Jerusalem, most folks who lived in Jerusalem were Jews, and people who lived in Samaria were Samaritans, and they really didn't have the best sense of love for each other, if you know what I mean. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Jacqueline, she pointed that out and gave us a little bit of the history behind all that. Uh, and when, when Philip moved to um, uh, Samaria... It would be like an Auburn fan moving to Tuscaloosa and keeping on the front of their car the Love War Eagle tag, you know? I mean, it was not a great thing. And people would think, how in the world can Philip live in Samaria, him coming out of Jerusalem and moving here to this Samaritan community? But there in that community, he began to share what he had experienced in Jesus Christ. And in soil that folks no one thought would be fertile for the spreading of the good news about the Jewish Messiah, it began to take root. And people began to turn to Jesus and were transformed. Revival broke out. And when news got back to Jerusalem, what was happening, there were a, they, they said, we need to send some folks to check it out. And so they sent a couple of the, the lead guys there to Samaria to check it out. And sure enough, Great things were happening. But I want you for a moment just to think about Philip. Here Philip was. He kind of began, like all the other people in the church, he, he heard this message about Jesus. He came to follow Jesus. And he was just kind of a, a normal poor person that attended their worship services in small groups just like all the rest of us, you know, participate in church. And then the people kind of respected Philip, and it was time to help get some leadership for ministry and and, and they tapped him on the shoulder, and when they tapped him on the shoulder, he said, Sure, I, I'll do this. And he served in that ministry, and, and, and then later, uh, situations changed. He had to leave Jerusalem, and he ends up in Samaria. And what does he do in Samaria? He becomes a church planter. God moved in Philip's life in an amazing way to get him to the place where God needed him to be in the moment. And then things were really going well in Samaria for Philip when God gave him a nudge and said, Philip, I want you to travel from where you are in Samaria down to the coast to Gaza and take the back road. Instead of traveling the main road, Highway 64 to Murphy, I want you to go by Hiawassee Dam. Last year... Uh, Patty and I, along with Josh and his children, our oldest son who lives up on Signal, and his two children and wife, we, we decided one day we would take a, a day adventure and we would travel over toward Murphy just to spend the day and you know find good places to eat and so forth. And so we traveled over there, and, and after we had eaten, uh, we were traveling back, and I went a route uh, near uh, many of you know where the Field of Woods is. You know, it's kind of off of Highway 64. And I saw a sign that said Hiawassee Dam. Now, I've never been to Hiawassee Dam. How many of y'all have ever been to Hiawassee Dam in here? Let's see. Okay. So maybe about, I've counted 12.5%. Sean, does that look about right? Okay, about 12.5% people have been over there. So how many of you have been there? But let me tell you, Hiawassee Dam's kind of out of the way, all right? 
So I went over to Hawassi Dam, and we spent, you know, several hours there. And so coming out of the dam, instead of turning back to the right where we had come from, and I knew the route, I decided I would turn left. And I thought, this road has to come out somewhere on Highway 411. Now, when I get on Highway 411, I know where I am. So we turned. But unfortunately, if you're over in that area, the cell service was rather spotty. <laughs> that is a mild way of saying there ain't no cell service in that area. <laughs> and so an hour and a half later, after going around all these curvy roads, we ended up, guess where? Murphy, North Carolina. <laughs> now, I want you all to know we weren't lost because I still had gas in the car, okay? You're not lost, guys, if you still have gas in the tank. You're really lost when you run out of gas and you don't know where you are. God said to Philip, Philip, I want you to go down to Gaza, but I don't want you to go the main route, the route that everybody travels. I want you to take the back route where there's no cell coverage. I want you to take the back road, that little curvy road that leads down from Jerusalem, down through the boonies, down to Gaza. That's the way I want you to go. Now, man, that was strange. That was strange. But Philip followed what God wanted him to do. And on his way down to Gaza, on the back road, he came across a guy in a chariot. How many of y'all have ever encountered somebody in a chariot? Anybody ever encountered somebody in a chariot? I mean, that's a pretty unique experience. Maybe a little bit more common then. But even then, not a lot of people rode chariots. And he knew that the guy that's in that chariot must be very special because not everybody rides a chariot. It was obvious the way the guy was dressed. Uh, that he was something special. But he came across this guy in the chariot. And it turned out that it was a God derived and directed encounter. As I've said before you before, that I'm a part of a small group. And I repeat that often because I believe it's so important for all of us to be engaged in some kind of small group in the context of the church. Just such an important thing for in our lives and development. But we meet at Cracker Barrel on Monday mornings. And uh, over the past few months, uh, our group has been uh, reflecting on examining the book of Revelation. And a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at the chapter in the book of Revelation that talks about the beast, with an S, and about the mark of the beast. And we were having our normal conversation. And then when I was checking out, one of the cashiers who loves taking our money and oftentimes takes our money, she looked me in the eyes. I handed her my, my check, and she said, What is the beast? She said a few words and comments about the mark of the beast. And then she said, I was trying to listen to your conversation around the table. Now, I'll be honest with you. We're not really a quiet group, and you probably could hear us back in the back corner of that group. But after I reflected on what she said, I thought, people are listening. Do you realize that people are listening to you? Do you realize that people are watching you? Do you realize that people are seeing how you are acting in the world 
around you. And often, what's going on in your life and in your conversation and in their lives, these are God moments. This guy that was riding the chariot, it just so happened that he was a a guy that was uh, from Ethiopia, not just any guy. He was a member of Candace, the queen's court. And because he was a member of her court, he had been castrated, become a eunuch, because they didn't want anything going on between members of the court and the queen, so that's why that happened. And he was a Jewish proselyte who believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he had traveled from Ethiopia, which was south of Egypt, all the way across Egypt, up the Gaza Strip, into Jerusalem to worship at the temple. I imagine that he thought, when I I get there, I will really encounter God. I'll have an experience like I've never had before. And you know what happened to him when he got to the temple? They said, closed for you. You can't come in. Even into the outermost courtyard, you can't come in because you are a eunuch. Custom and law said he couldn't enter. He had traveled all of that way to get to the temple only to have the doors locked and barred from his entry. How would that have made you feel? It probably would have caused me to start questioning my faith a bit. But this man, even on his journey home, even with the disappointment he'd encountered, he was searching the Scriptures, reading from out of the scroll of Isaiah reading out of the scroll of Isaiah. I hope that in his reading he had come across this passage that speaks so powerfully. Isaiah wrote, Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I'm just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant. I will give in my house within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Gosh, I hope he found those words there. Because what's about to happen to this eunuch is the fulfillment of Isaiah's words. And Philip came upon him. Philip heard him reading. But he wasn't reading that passage. He was reading another that talks about the suffering servant. And Philip said, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand it? And he said, how can I? There's no one to explain it. He said, who is this talking about? Is it the one who wrote these words or is it somebody else? And Philip said, let me tell you. And he invited him up into the chariot. And they sat in that chariot. And Philip began to explain that this message that he had read in Isaiah is about this man called Jesus. And he shared about Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, what Jesus taught. I want you to think about all this for a moment. What a divinely orchestrated event. 
a guy from Ethiopia travels all the way to Jerusalem, is rejected in Jerusalem, travels the back road down to Gaza. God nudges a guy who's in the middle of revival services and says, I want you to leave here and go down to Gaza. What's in Gaza? There ain't nothing in Gaza. But I want you to go to Gaza, and I want you to take the back road by Hawassi Dam. I want you to go the back way. And he does, and he encounters this guy who, what is he doing? He's reading a passage of Scripture out of Isaiah about the suffering servant. Isn't that extraordinary? Isn't that maybe supernatural? I contend that it's not supernatural, and I contend that it's not extraordinary, but I believe that that's the way that God ordinarily works in your life and in my life. God puts us in places with people for these moments, these experiences that become pivotal moments for transformation. You don't... People may have a question. People may have an issue. People may be in a situation where they just need someone's ears to listen to them. Someone may need a passage of Scripture explained. Someone may need just so many things. And there God places you with what that person, those persons need. Ordinary, everyday kinds of experiences. God wants to use you. You see, we are the church wherever we are. Not just when we're gathered in this place, but while we're out there beyond these walls in the world around us, where, when we're at work, when we're at school, when we're in our neighborhood, when we're shopping at Walmart, when we're in Cracker Barrel having a discussion, when we're even traveling down the highways, we are the church. You, 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 you are the church, and God is directing our lives in an amazing way. Uh, recently, I, be, I picked up a book while, after I went to a conference out in Wichita, Kansas, and uh, the book was written by Jim and Alan Fadling, a couple. And uh, in, in the book, Alan made a profound statement, really spoke to me. He said that when he first began in ministry, he was a pastor, and now he's leading another type of Christian ministry. But when he began in ministry, God's calling, he felt that God had called him to do a task, be a pastor, pastor a church. He saw ministry as a task to be done for God. He said later in his life, he began to realize that God had not called him to do a task, but God had invited him to join with God in what God was doing in the world. Do you get that? Do you get the difference? God has not called you, any of you, to do a task for God. 
God has invited you and God has invited me to join Him in what God is doing in our world. Come join me. And when Philip was on that road, that wilderness road, and he encountered that Ethiopian eunuch, God was already in the chariot. And God was saying to Philip, come on, Philip, catch up with this chariot and hop on board together. There's going to be a God experience that takes place in this chariot that will transform this man's life. Will transform this man's life. God is inviting you every day in the simple things and the everyday ordinary things of life, in the profound things of life, God is inviting you and me to join in what God is doing in our world. Are you ready to join in with God? Are you ready to be a part of what God's doing in the world? You know, this story has a neat ending. I really hate that Patty's here because I'm getting ready to say something that... uh, She will not let me live it down, okay? (laughs) I like stories with happy endings, and when Patty's got on Hallmark, I like seeing the ends of the stories, okay? (laughs) I'm sorry, guys. I like stories with happy endings. Hallmark has happy endings. And this story has such a happy ending. Because you see what happened when Philip explained what the gospel was through the message of that passage in Isaiah This Ethiopian eunuch, when they passed by some water, said, Hey, here's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And they stopped that chariot, and they ran down to the water, and... Well, he could have sprinkled him. I'm sure those Methodists are bad. Anyway, however they did it, God placed his mark on that Ethiopian eunuch's life and said, This is my son. That old dry tree... That old eunuch that couldn't go into the temple. He was identified as a son of the living God. He bore the mark of Jesus Christ upon who he was. You got it? That's a happy ending. And the scripture tells us, he went on rejoicing and the spirit snatched Philip away. You know, often in our lives, in these God encounters, we have a lot of the God encounters we don't even know the experiences we have when we shared, when we listened to someone, when, we, when we've done something for each other, when we shared a cookie with someone. We don't know the result of all that stuff, do we? We don't know exactly what's happened. And it reminded me when I was in this sermon of, uh, of the Ray Bolt's song, Thank You. And in that song, it talks about, uh, Ray sings about how that, I dreamed I went to heaven, and there in heaven saw various people and and they said what kind of influence that he had had on their lives i I don't know if heaven will be like that i don't know if the eternal kingdom people will come up and say uh, jack this is what you meant to me and this is what a difference you made my life and you remember that day when this happened i don't know if that's going to happen or not but the thing is we don't oftentimes know the whole story but you know even in how the scripture ends this story We don't know the end because I wonder what happened to that Ethiopian when he returned home. Did he, when he got home, share with his family, with his friends, with the queen about this man named Jesus 
and how that he now in Jesus had a new identity. And maybe it was this Ethiopian eunuch. You see, down in Ethiopia, there has been a long tradition of Christianity, of faith in Jesus Christ that predates most missionaries ever going there. And was it because that Philip joined him on a chariot and shared the gospel, and then he shared the gospel? And maybe it fertilized the soil that maybe when one of the apostles, Matthias, traveled down into North Africa, that he found fertile ground. You don't know what impacts you're having on people. Live out your faith. Share your faith with others in practical ways. Love like nobody else can love through the power of Jesus Christ. Because what you do each day may be one of those pivotal moments that will bring transformation into the lives of others. But not just the life of the other you touch, but that has a ripple effect that can change eternity for thousands, if not millions. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are yours. And we pray, Lord, that we would be those people open and available to you. Fill us with your Spirit. Transform our lives so that we can be light shining into a dark world. And Lord, help us to live for you to feel those God nudges, and even, Lord, when we don't feel the nudges, that we would be yours. And, Lord, that the contact we make with others would truly make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen.